0: AC Milan season is off to a hot start. Thanks for tuning in to the AC Milan Offside podcast. The Devil Wears Rossonero of SB Nation's AC Milan Offside. I'm Patrick Stoll alongside Tim Fontenel at Stoll underscore P at Tim underscore Fontenel, and at SBN Rossonero is where you can find us on Twitter. Oh boy, oh boy. We talk about roller coasters a lot on this show. Uh, we talked about the ups and downs of the ownership, and the ups and downs of the transfer market, and, uh, well now we're into the ups and downs of the season already, uh, and nothing showed that more than the beginning game of the season where Milan successfully went up 2-0 against Napoli and promptly blew it for a 3-2 loss which, you know, is great and exactly what the AC Milan community needed to start off the season, Uh, followed up by just an absolutely rocking game at the San Siro to open up the season at home against Roma with a 2-1 victory featuring an assist from VAR, which is nice. Uh, That plus A little bit of a transfer rumor, the Europa League coming up, and international call-ups, including several Rossoneri in this international break. So, got a lot to talk about for the first two matches of the season. I'll bring in my co-host Tim here. Tim, how are you after uh, quite quite an AC Milan start to the AC Milan season?
1: Oh, I don't think I could say it any better myself, Patrick. Uh, Look, just kind of what we should have expected. I think going into the season, the way, you know, the way things go with Milan, we knew it was going to be up and down. It was going to be a roller coaster. We were going to feel all sorts of emotions right out the gate. And at the end of the day, hey, 3 points from those first two matches, that's not a bad start.
0: Yeah, I mean that that's basically what it comes down to for me. I mean, again, a 3-2 Loss to Napoli and a 2 1 win to Roma is frankly a very good way to start the season, especially because you won at home. Napoli was on the road, we all know what Napoli is, and we're not as sure of what Roma is, uh, depending on who you ask. Um, but that's a great win nonetheless. And you know what, you know what's great is. They have they have one win, they have three points. Milan currently sit in uh, 14th place with one win, one loss, three points. And people have said, wow, look, Milan are in 14th. Right, with a game in hand, I might add, um, because the Sampdoria game, or excuse me, the Genoa game was postponed. So let's start in the beginning. With Napoli, and this is the hard one to talk about because of the absolute bloodbath that occurred in the second half. So, I guess we'll start. Bonaventura puts Milan ahead in the 15th minute, and I was freaking out because I didn't expect us to go up in the 15th minute. uh put Milan in quite a good position, frankly. Uh, after looking a little disoriented, a little bit. Like, there were some really good moments where they had the run of play, but other times it just looked like, oh, God, we are going to get scored on. We are really going to give up a goal here. And then if Giacomo Bonaventura is going to get credit for an amazing goal. But I want to give special shout-out to Fabio Barini, who, even though... We're talking about Fabio Barini starting a game in 2018. He made a fantastic assist to Bonaventura, heading the ball back for Bonaventura to volley it into the net, which was just incredible and really fitting for the first goal of the season. But, I mean, if you want to talk lineup, Oh, we can talk lineup because, <laughs> I mean, seeing Higuain is great. Suso, Suso, Belia. you know, we're going to, de- we don't have Locatelli anymore. This is what we have. And then Barini started because Castillejo had been there all of the week and Chalhanoglu was suspended. So uh, much rather would have seen Chalhanoglu suspended against Genoa but there are forces beyond our control and a great first goal. And then the second half happened. And <laughs> I mean, you know, we, we get, we got another one from Davide Calabria, your boy, your boy, Davide Calabria putting one in the net. Absolutely. Uh, so that's two nil. And at this point, um, I really thought that we were in for a shock and uh, yeah, we were in for a shock. We were really—Zielinski uh, gets two, and then Draize Mertens comes off the bench and absolutely assassinates AC Milan in the 80th minute, um, which he should get an assist from Davide Calabria on that, because honestly, Davide Calabria switched off of Draize Mertens on that goal, which was just absolutely shocking. Uh, I don't know what we can say other than, you know, they had the pedal— like pedal to the metal and then once they went up 2-0 it looked like they were playing to get out of the game and then when they were when they given it up to 2-2 it looked like they were playing for a draw and then they couldn't do anything
1: yeah i i thought they were in for a shock at 2-0 but i thought it was going to be the way it ended up being i just had this gut feeling that the way they were playing they were fortunate to be up 2-0 and the the wheels were going to come off at some point they like you said they had a couple shaky plays at the beginning of the game a couple shaky instances and then bonaventura gets the goal again like you said fantastic play by barini have to go back to suso on that as well what a play by him and just to get the ball all the way across the box but then they kind of had to bunker down because napoli were coming and they could just not get out of their own way, that Milan defense. They couldn't get the ball out of the out of the defensive third. That whole idea of playing out of the back, as noble as it is, it doesn't really suit this team. And you could tell the first time actually applying it in a Serie A match against a very aggressive attack, they were uncomfortable. And they had no idea what they were doing. I mean, anytime Donnarumma has the ball at his feet, just pray to whatever sort of deity you worship. And just if if you don't, then find find someone to pray to, because that's going to be a disaster. It's
0: going to be this way all season, too. That's the best part is that that problem, since it didn't go away in the off season, this is going to be a whole season again. We're going to be this is going to be the whole time. All over again. We've been talking about this for how many seasons. this is gonna be the whole thing.
1: Exactly. So that's gonna be a lot of fun. And you wanna you wanna hope that they'll figure it out, that they'll settle in. Once you know, once Caldara gets in there, maybe Romagnoli will have a more comfortable teammate alongside him other than Musaccio, who, you know, he's not really the guy you want back there in that system. And look, Belia had a shocker. That was a horrendous game from him. Uh, we'll we'll talk about his game against Roma later, but for that specific game, he deserved a lot of criticism for the way he played. It wasn't he wasn't good. No, he was di- wasn't good. He was directly responsible for the turnover on the first goal. He was just he couldn't he couldn't outlet into an attacking play the entire game. He was a nightmare. Now, I think you pretty much covered it with that second half. The only other thing I'll say is, in that game, we saw how important Chalinoglu is, his presence out there, because, again, not having him out there, everything had to go through Suso if they wanted to attack. And we saw that on the first goal. We saw that on the second goal. And then we saw Gonzalo Higuain just kind of, looking around like can can I get the ball please like can can someone please get this ball to me because this is this is not working right now so I mean you know I I would love to see a 4231 I don't think it's going to happen but I think the best way to deploy this attack is to have Chalinoglu in there going through the middle have Castillejo out on the left have Suso on the right And then you just give yourself far more options to get the ball to Higuain and see what happens.
0: Yeah, I I think so. I know that we definitely wanted to see the end of Suso ball where it was like, get the ball to Suso and let's see what he does. And it's clear that Gonzalo Higuain brings a lot to the table and which sounds like such an obvious thing to say. But we'll get to the Roma game in a minute. Um, but first of all, the fact that we are still like, how many times do we have to talk about winger depth, even though we added Castillejo, and I know he had been there like a week and a half, so I, I don't really begrudge, uh, Gattuso for not putting him in, but the fact that what, what happens if Chalinoglu goes down, what happens if, what better, what happens if Suso goes down? What do we do? Like, we l- genuinely have no one... Beyond Suso, Chalinoglu, and then Castillejo, which can, who can play either side, we have Barini. Or you can put Bonaventura up there, but we don't have a midfielder. You know, we we, we just don't have a midfield. Um, I guess you could put Lakschalt there, and Lakshalt can also play on the wing. Um, speaking of whom, he was a bright spot in the Napoli game. I love Diego Laxalt. I am a big...
1: That was a really
0: promising Big addition. fan of that addition. Laxalt has been fantastic already. I am a big fan for 18, minus, like, what, the 11 from... Uh, Lapadula From Lapidula. <laughs> 7 million for black is a deal and a half like this dude is already looking good um cutrone came in for who did he come in for okay so he came in for barini
1: these first two games cutrone's come on for barini and was it bonaventura against roma
0: yeah yeah i think it was bonaventura so
1: iguaín is staying in there and it's just adding another option and it's you know you kind of see Coutrone in this sort of roaming role as almost like a second striker I find it really interesting
0: which is yeah which is a really interesting point because coming into the season we didn't think that they would do a two striker thing because like if Gonzalo Higuain is in the box is his like don't like that's his zone but if Coutrone is in it's the same thing katrone is not like he's not a 10 he's not really he's not like suso he's not like chelanoglu he's very much like we would think that they would get in the way of each other but for the time that they've played together in the season already it seems like they work together decently well like i wouldn't start with them two up front no
1: and it may have also been sort of circumstantial.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, spe- yeah, you're right. Because against Napoli, they needed it. Um, and that seemed a little desperate. Um, especially when, I mean, against Napoli, man, Zielinski gained the double. Uh, Hamsik looked like he was adapting pretty well to his new role. Um, Insigne looked good. Um, and then Callahan perpetually looked like he was going to score against us. Literally, I think there were six times against us where I was like, Calihan's going to score. It's just a matter of when. He didn't, but it was close. Uh, I do want to throw one. So another interesting thing about Napoli, uh, Simone Verdi didn't get in, which I thought was interesting. Um, I didn't know why Dries Mertens was coming off the bench, but if that's what Ancelotti's going to do is bring a super good player like him.
1: Imagine having that option off the bench.
0: Like, oh yeah, we'll just put him in. This tells you what you need to know. Napoli shots 24. Milan shots 8. Napoli shots on target 8. Milan shots on target 2. So yeah, that, that basically tells you 24 shots. That's, that'll do it. Um, and look, it, it was the first game. No need to panic. I know that people wanted to panic and I know that people were panicking. And my take on it is, it sucks that they blew the 2-0 lead. It sucks that they ended up losing that game. But against Napoli, there's not really a lot to be ashamed of. What you really need to do is take the lesson of, okay, keep your foot on the gas next time. Don't let them get back into it. Because it was only four minutes after the Calabria goal, that the first Zielinski goal was scored. Which means that was when Napoli was like, all right, well, we got to do this. And they just turned on the Jets. They got one. And they knew exactly how they got it. I mean, it was silly. And they they knew what they were doing from there. Because, okay, we're one goal back. We can play our way now. But if we press higher, we're going to force them into more mistakes like they literally just did. And that's exactly what happened. And there's a reason that Napoli was able to get a three goals in half an hour when the entire 45 before that, they had not been able to get one in. Um, one thing that I'll say about Milan is their defense looked like calm and collected. If you know what I mean, like they weren't panicking. Um, but I also would appreciate if they like, got rid of the ball faster (laughs) because there was a lot a lot of pass it around like let's find an open thing no just get it out of the box dude stop going back and forth with GGO Donnarumma because this is not gonna go well and it it didn't it gave so much momentum and ability to pressure from Napoli and that just ended up punishing us I mean that's exactly what happened.
1: Every single goal came from an inability to properly clear the ball. And look, I I'd say the one that's least fair to say that about is the second one with Bakayoko. You know, it's a set piece and he's in the box, he's got to try to head it away. He just happened to head it right to Zelinski and Zelinski scored a fantastic goal. Um look, that's that's going to happen, but you know, like you said, it it's Napoli. So you know, and it's at Napoli.
0: It's not at home against Sassuola.
1: There are matches that you're supposed to get all three points from. There's some that you're you know, maybe a, a draw is deserved. At Napoli right now is one of those matches where if you're getting if you're getting points, they're bonus points on what the expectation should be for your season. And I'm not saying you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't go in with the expectation to win. I'm saying that if Milan are going to press for top four, there are only two teams I think are good enough to win at Napoli. And I think maybe one of them will do so this year. I think, it's, I think Juventus and Inter are the only two capable of winning at Napoli. So if Milan had gotten those three points, fantastic. Those are... Those are bonus points that you now have all this. You you, you would gain momentum, sure, um, but they end up getting the win at Roma against Roma. That was massive. That gives you the momentum going into an international break. The only other thing I want to say about this game is seeing the two teams play their second games of the season was just complete role reversal. I thought in the first game... Mo- Napoli took the game to Milan for the most part, and I think the second time around, I thought Milan were the better team against Roma. Just they they deserve the win full full stop against Roma, and Napoli just looked like a shell, just empty shell of a team at Sampdoria. That that was one of the most ex- most entertaining games I've watched in Serie a in a long time. Just because Sampdoria absolutely destroyed
0: them. They dunked all <laughs> over Napoli. The fact that Napoli was going to need another comeback and they just didn't have it in and then when Qualiorella scored that I don't even know what to call it. I but screamed. Yeah. Oh my god. Like as soon as that happened, I'm like, well, Napoli ain't winning this game. Like Napoli well, obviously they weren't gonna win it because that was three, but I was like Napoli is dead, this game. This is absolutely, like, it's unfair at this point. I have no idea how that, but one one last thing about the Napoli game. I received from a couple friends of mine a particular amount of heat for Bakayoko, and I just want to say that he was not good, uh, but he also wasn't that bad you know like he wasn't good um but he wasn't responsible for both of the goals um and I know that Gatuso had a lot to say about him after um which was interesting to hear him say basically like Bakayoka has to get better at the basics I was like is something more wrong like it does Bakayoka like not know where he is like what I don't know what's going on. Um, I saw one person say that Bakayoko is the worst player to put on an AC Milan shirt, like ever. I was like, Jamal Nasba. I was like, didn't he play for like half an hour in against like one of the best teams in Syria? Like, you're really giving that much respect to Muntari that Bakayoko is the worst? I was like. This is not, like, are we already dropping the hammer on this guy? Like, And the problem is, and I'll say it again, I'm a broken record here, I know. They have staked so much on Bakayoko, it is shocking to me. They have put all of their midfield eggs into the Bakayoko basket. Because there's Biglia who starts, and then there's Bakayoko and like that's it. Like Montalivo is apparently in a massive fight with Gatuso. Gatuso doesn't want him here anymore. No one Montelivo wants him here doesn't anymore. doesn't want Yeah, no one wants him here anymore, but Montalivo refuses to leave. It's like I I just don't I just don't understand. Um but that we don't have anyone at that spot. And so just every day like when they took out Bulia, I was like, this is exactly where you put on Locatelli. But instead, it's Bakayoko, and it is only going to be Bakayoko, and the 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 banking on Bakioko, like the risk reward here, I don't think is proportionate to what we want it to be. The risk is we get Chelsea Bakioko, in which case we don't have a center midfielder. The reward is we get Monaco Bakayoko and then we buy him from Chelsea. But again, the risk is we get Chelsea Bakayoko, ship him back, and then we have to, like, now we're without a midfielder anyway. So I don't, I I just don't know what the midfield plan, unless there's some prospect in the youth academy who is just a bomb center midfielder I, I don't get it. And we had one of those, and he was Locatelli, and he's gone now.
1: And we had one before that, and it was Brian Cristante and Roma bought him this summer from Atalanta.
0: Yeah, and he's gone. And oh, by the way, there was also Sampanara. Mm-hmm.
1: Who was fantastic against Napoli for Sampdoria, by the way.
0: See, th- this is the thing. It's like, every single time, to- and it's not like these guys were a bummyang, where he wasn't doing anything and they wasn't doing anything. They sent him out alone. loan. He didn't really show anything. And then they loaned. And he was all right. And they loaned. And then they were like, okay, we're giving up on this guy. And then he turns out to be good. Um, it wasn't like that. They had seen these guys and evidently they thought that Maori was better than Cristante. And that's just not true.
1: Yeah, that that's what we were dealing
0: with the last few years. And it's just, it's it's shocking to me that we, I I mean, I tweeted it and my producer, Andrew from Sirius, um, he said, you know, this is hilarious uh, that um, Milan fans like believe in Bakayoko because he's a Chelsea fan. So he says that Bakayoko is the most useless player on the planet. And I said, look, man, we are banking on him turning into Monaco, Bakayoko. Otherwise, you're going to get him right back. And hasn't looked great, but I don't think he's looked absolutely awful, especially since he had been there for like 10 days. Um, Pivoting to Roma now, uh, you know, coming off that just absolutely rough implosion uh, against Napoli, Milan returned home to the friendly confines of San Siro. And I'll just put it like it is, proceeded to dominate Roma on the ball. Um, Kessie got a goal in the 40th, um, and that was just, you know, thank God, because they played, they had pressed so much better, and they had just been able to dominate Roma in possession, and going forward, they deserved the goal, they deserved to go up, um, and, and then, uh, and then the second half happened, um... Where Federico Fazio gets a goal. Um, and, you know, when I saw that goal, I was like, okay, if this is what we're going to deal with all season, I just, I don't know what we're going to do. Like, we really got to cut this out. What proceeded to happen was, um, Higuain gets a goal, but his foot was offside. Goes to VAR and is admittedly correctly waved off. Um, but it was a fantastic run from Pippita Iguain, And had it not been for literally like the front half of his foot, they would have been up 2-1. And then Roma gets a goal. I believe it was from Fazio.
1: In Zanzi, I believe it was. Uh, In Zanzi, it was
0: in Zanzi, correct. Uh, Yeah, that's right. It was in Zanzi. Gets a goal off a corner where it bounces off his arm, goes down... He was in the middle of, like, four Milan players, too, which is why this pissed me off so much. So he brought it down. Uh, it looked like it hit both of his arms, and then went down, and then he, he just slotted it in. And Vir waved that off, too. And so it looks like we're headed for a draw. And then in the dying moments of the match, Gonzalo Higuain slots a ball right through the heart of roma's defense and patrick cutrone who had come on as a sub puts it right past roma's keeper and proceeds to th- hit his chest so hard it looked like he was a mad person just absolutely <laughs> beating the crap out of himself because the badge happened to once be there once again
1: patrick cutrone celebrations oh are my amazing. god
0: he is the man and if you notice i have changed my handle um, it is now Patrick Custolne, um, instead of Becca Stolo. Um, that's all it took. I was like, all right, that's it. We're not, I'm not riding the back trade. I am not putting this in my name anymore. So it's Costolne now. Um, and we're one good, um, Castillejo performance away from being Castollejo. Um, but yeah, oh, I'm, I'll, I'll be here all week, folks. Um, so, uh, Milan... I mean they straight up dominated Roma and Roma had a lot of questions after this game because Milan had 26 shots. Now granted I think probably 8 of them were just wild shots from outside the box which if we're still going to do this I mean I don't know why we still try this where Bonaventura and um and Higuaín are just trying shots from like the outside of the third but that's okay uh 10 shots on target 51 percent possession and we saw crap bilia against napoli and we saw a really good bilia against (laughs) rome
1: what a game if we get
0: roma bilia every game i can i can live out the season yeah i i can we can add someone in the summer but we'll be all right but if we get napoli bilia more often we're in for a bad time at midfield so that that's like the other side of the coin is we can get Roma Biglia or we can get Napoli Biglia who won our flop of the match poll by the way so I mean I don't even know what to do I said
1: in my in my post-match piece I said I would accept 75% of that performance from Biglia on a week-in week-out basis because you you look at the numbers and there's no way you can keep that up I mean he had he completed 55 of 56 passes which is insane especially when you think about 6 days before that five interceptions three clearances and two tackles unbelievable but there were so many things to be excited about from this game and that's why you know I was I was calm after the Napoli game I was really annoyed with the way it happened but I was expecting to lose that game and I from the first two games Roma played this year, it's gotten progressively worse where we've seen how bad their defense actually is. So this was one, of, you know, a lot of people were really high on Roma being that team to beat for fourth place this year. This is one of the reasons why I think they're very vulnerable in that position is because their back line has been atrocious and they just, Against Torino, they they escaped. They got lucky. Against Atalanta, it was horrendous. And just Milan picked them apart in the back. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think one of them is they were extremely scared of Gonzalo Higuain, which was really fun to watch. If you go back and watch that first goal, first of all, you need to love Ricardo Rodriguez's play where he gets the ball across to Cassier. You gotta love Kessie's run, but you also have to look in the middle where Iguain is waiting. And as Rodriguez is coming down the wing, Costas Manolis looks around and just points to Iguain and tells his teammates, "Look at him! Look at him!" And it pulls them away enough for Rodriguez to play that ball across the face of goal to Kessie. They were so worried about Iguain they forgot about everyone else which was I mean if that's going to be if he doesn't score every goal but if he's that much of a threat that other teams are that scared of him and they forget about everyone else fine by me and you kind of saw it again on the second goal which to me all four phases of that goal were brilliant it starts like <laughs> it starts with when Zanzi has the ball and I'm sta- I'm staring at this gif as I'm talking about this because it was just amazing And Zanzi has nowhere to go because Frank Kessier is right there. Kessier forces him into a bad pass, which Calabria reads perfectly. Calabria is behind the Roma player who's trying to get the ball. And he pounces. He has to change direction, and he comes in perfectly and just pushes the ball to Higuain because he takes a hard touch, the first one. He can't really catch up to it, so he just knocks it to Higuain. And then Higuain has... I'm looking, it's like two or three defenders get pulled by Higuain and he just slots the ball through them to Katrone who times his run perfectly and then he doesn't even take a touch and he just gets it on his right foot and ble- and slots it past Robin Olsen who just, he was left in no man's land. He tried to come out a little bit, but he was done. I mean, everything about that play was just perfection.
0: And I tell you, man, what, what Gonzalo Higuain brings to the team I swear, man, AC Milan looked like an entirely different team with Higuain up front, which is something that we knew was going to happen. Because who's our striker? Higuain is. Who comes in after him? Coutrone. There's no doubt anymore. We don't have these questions. You know how how long have we been searching for like a an actual like a Higuain's quality striker? And how many strikers since Inzaghi, for God's sake, have we gone through? I mean, Pato, right? And I like Pato, but you know, stick with me here. Um, in no particular order, um, Baka. Baka had an okay season, but then after that, he was pretty much useless. Kalinic never had a good season; he was useless. Uh, Kutrone different um Silva flop um feel free to throw anyone in because I I can't remember all of them uh Adriano Adriano and Baca were supposed to be like the dynamic duo and like that didn't really I kind of like Luis Adriano but never really turned into much I
1: think since Shevchenko left for Chelsea the only two the only two before Higuain that I could look at and say, this is our definitive number nine. There's no doubt about it. This is our guy. Our Inzaghi and Ibrahimović. Everything else felt like an experiment. Everything else felt like number nine by committee. And all of it really turned into a disaster. And it's been... It's been a mess. I'm still pro Classian Huntular didn't get a fair shake, but that's in the past. That's a long time ago. And Iguain is in now just completely transforming this team, like you said. Every, like he is the guy and he's gonna make everyone else better just by being on the field. I mean, I I look at that Coutrone goal and I'm still watching this GIF, and it's just it's brilliant. The way he opens things up for other players where, you know, people were talking about, oh, well, who's going to, who's going to get him the ball to, or who's going to get the assist for him. He can now kind of create for these other players because he's going to be the center of attention and they're going to forget that Patrick Coutrone was the leading scorer
0: last year. Oh, 100%. He brings, he just is an absolute game changer which is just, it's its huge for this team. There have been a lot of strikers that we've been mowing through, looking for someone to add the clinical ability that Gonzalo Higuain has, and just the fact that it's not just finishing a cross, or finishing a shot, or taking a shot. Like, the movement, the runs that he brings, the vision that he has, the vision for that Cutrone goal— and the fact that he and Kutrone were on the exact same page, because you can see as soon as Kutrone starts taking a step, that ball was headed to him. They both knew exactly what was happening. And Kutrone has the ability to finish that. And it, it was perfect from that angle of, we haven't had a striker who can make that play or score those kind of goals in years. When
1: Higuain came in, I was obviously really excited. The one thing I was nervous about was how it would affect Coutrone. And I just, you know, I see this 20 year old striker. He was the leading scorer last year. He's obviously got a bright future. Everyone at the club loves him. And then they go out and get Higuain, the most expensive striker in the league, the one of arguably the best striker in the league. And I just can imagine that rattling your confidence. But then to have him come in and kind of be, like looking like this mentor to you, and just having him, having him just change the game so much, and still having you involved in such a big way, it has to be such a weight off his shoulders, and he has to like feel like any pressure that may have come with Iguain coming in, isn't isn't there. It was a really positive move all around, and it's only going to make him better, which is, you know, Iguain is a short-term couple years. Coutrone is the future, and having those couple years where he's playing with Iguain and having things like this happen are just going to make him that much
0: better. I 100% agree. The fact that he's going to get to learn from Higuain, and he's already said that, you know, being able to learn from Higuain has helped me a lot. I'm all in on that, man. If Cutrone can learn from Higuain for a season or two, man, that is best case scenario. And it's not like, you know, I bringing in Higuain was stability. Bringing in Higuain was recognizing, okay, we had Cutrone and then nothing at striker. And Cutrone wasn't meant to be the starter last season. Silva was. And bringing in... Higuain with stability and recognizing that they had a bright young talent, one of the best in possibly Europe, and recognizing, look, he might not be 100% the star right now, but he's going to get his time, uh, and we'll get to a certain transfer rumor in a second, but Kutrone will get his time, he is one of the first guys off the bench for AC Milan. He, um, Lakshult, Castillejo, uh, and, you know, whichever uh, counterpart of theirs does not start. Um, and then there's Bakiyoko, which, you know, again, good Bakiyoko, bad Bakayoko. Um Cutrone is one of the most consistent guys off the bench now, which only means good things. Now, there was a report that emerged this week uh, where apparently Patrick Cutrone is linked to Real Madrid. Um
1: Insert laugh track here.
0: Insert yeah, I okay, so here's here's the thing. Um I also love how this is on our page and the main tag is Real Madrid Transfer News and Rumors. Um, so I, I don't, you know, I know managing Madrid is a big blog here, but he's our guy. All right. Um, so Calcio Mercato has published Real Madrid want Milan striker Patrick Cutrone. Um, apparently, apparently, um, Lopetegui, uh, was a fan of Cutrone back when Lopetegui was coaching at Porto and the 15 year old at the time, Cutrone was part of the youth system. And, um, as our, as our, uh, editor in chief here, Pete said, get used to these kinds of rumors. It's going to happen a lot. Yeah, Pretty much. This is what we're going to have to deal with now. This, this is our lives now because the more that Cutrone scores. All right, he had a good season last season. And he's only going to take steps up. Um unless, you know, unless something happens, he's only going to keep getting better, especially while he has the support of Higuaín and he gets playing time. One of the concerns mentioned in the article is Cutrone wants playing time.
1: Yeah, like what that was So why
0: would he go to Real Madrid? That doesn't that's not cuz does Karim Benzema not play for Real Madrid? Has Karim Benzema not gotten off to his best scoring start of any season in his career? Now that Ronaldo isn't the main point anymore, like does Karim, so are we going to dismiss Karim Benzema again? And we're just, so we're going to put Cotrone in Real Madrid so that he can do the exact same thing that he's doing now? just with all the pressure of real madrid <laughs> isn't this dude 20 years yep. old like i get it i thought that they weren't going with the galactico thing anymore <laughs> i like he's not a galactico no. either like that's just not i don't get it i legitimately and i i was joking with someone on twitter i will accept for patrick Catrone no less then Isco, Marco Asensio, Danny Ceballos, Rafael Veron and 75 million.
1: I'm really surprised you didn't start with Danny Ceballos on that list, to be perfectly no, honest. No, no, you got to start
0: with the better. You got to. The thing is, if you start with Ceballos, people aren't going to take you seriously because one of those players is not like the other. Very true. Um, <laughs> And, but he would do a lot. I, I'm still on the Ceballos train, but I just, it's not yeah. going to happen now, especially since Modric is bound to leave in the next, what? two three years oh if that he ceballos is going nowhere they they need him now uh we should have we should done that earlier but i i legitimately don't understand the whole like remember any time that a player in europe plays well or is promising and or young he will be linked to real madrid this is cutrone's turn through the cycle He's not going anywhere. They're not going to sell him. They don't want to sell him. Uh, someone wanted him this summer and they basically were like, huh, okay, cute. And like, that was it. And that that's the end. This would be the same thing. Real Madrid can ask if they want and they're going to get the same answer. No, because we know what he is. And he frankly has the brightest future for an AC Milan recent product not named Donnarumma,
1: yeah, absolutely. And where Milan are in a position where they don't have to sell him, you know, with Elliot coming in, there's no financial disarray that requires a fire sale. There's no no pressure at all. He doesn't want to leave. By all accounts, he's extremely happy. He's you know, this is a kid who came on the scene last year. But he's been with the club for 11 years. He came in in 2007 when he was 9 years old. He's obviously, this is his team. And he's, you know, he's finally in the first team. And he's very happy. He's been playing amazing. He's now learning from Iguain. We keep hearing about a 5-year deal. He's here long term. He's already been capped by the Italian national team through his rise at Milan. I, I don't see any reason why he would leave. He's not going to ask to leave. He's certainly not going to ask to leave for Real Madrid because he's not an idiot. I think that's one thing we can say for sure about Coutrone is he knows he's not going to go there and become the starter for Real Madrid. It's just not going to happen. But he can stay at Milan. He can learn from Iguain for a couple of years. And then become the guy. And. I mean if. If he can stay and be the guy. For this club. You're talking about. A team that will. Benefit from it. A player that will benefit from it. And. I mean obviously. I'm not going to sit here and pretend. That he's going to stay here his entire career. You know. The Maldinis and Baresi's are very hard to come by these days. But we've said this before on this podcast. If there's any player who has that vibe about them, it's him.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, just watch him score. I mean, just watch his reaction. Like you don't think that kid loves the club. And also to be on, if he would, he strikes me as a good kid and he strikes me as a kid that has his head on his shoulders straight. And Frankly, we've seen things where if he was a different kind of person and he wanted to go, he would have asked to leave in June because after that season that he had, where he kind of burst onto the scene last year, his stock was already up. Teams already, if they were interested in Cutrone now, they were already interested and they're just watching him. They're on he's on their watch list, right? And you I I bet that teams like Madrid and Barca and teams like that have him on their watch list. And I'm sure they're keeping an eye on him. Like that that I don't begrudge because that makes sense. He's like 19 or 20. And he already knows how to score. Like, he's good at this. And he's only going to get better at this. And the thing is, if he wanted to leave, he would have known, like, all right, well, here we go. I'm out. I don't want to play for... If he didn't want to play for Milan and was like, you know what? Oh, I'll play for Champions League. And I want to play for Ballon d'Or. And I I want to win the league. And I want to be starter at Real Madrid. He would have... We would have heard about him asking in the summer. And by the way, if he wanted to leave, he would have left after his best friend Locatelli got sold. All right? He would have been out. If he wanted out, that would have been it. He would have been like, I'm out. Yo, my best friend isn't here anymore. I'm out. Like, it's not. This is the news outlet being bored in the international break and spinning their dartboard of players into te- like okay so thunk okay cutrone to real madrid like there there it is and like if real madrid won him that's fine i don't really think that that's false but it's not going to happen and you know we can just laugh that one off um, you mentioned cutrone getting called up to the italian national team and so that's a good segue into our our hashtag worldwide Milan, um, which is a little bit long of a. It doesn't really flow, but I'm all right with that. Uh, so AC Milan has a handful of players called up to the Italian national team as well as just other national teams. So I'll I'll rattle them off. Um, And Tim and I don't really have any takes on the UEFA Nations League other than I think it's kind of cool. Yeah, it's better than friendlies and it'll give me apparently meaningful games to watch between international teams. Like, I'm all right with that, but I don't really have a particular take. I think it'll be cool to see how the pro-rail works. But, I mean, Italy has, what, Portugal in their group? And that might be a little rough, but... You know, it'll be cool, Um, but other than that, we have Bonaventura, Caldara, and Calabria, all for Italy, uh, as well as Cutrone, Donnarumma, and Romagnoli, so those are your Azzurri representatives from AC Milan. Chalunoglu gets called up by Turkey. Halilovic uh, gets called up by Croatia. Lachschultz for Uruguay, Kessie for the Ivory Coast, Suso for Spain, Ricardo Rodriguez returns to Switzerland after the World Cup, and uh, a special call-up that's included on the hashtag Worldwide Milan graphic is uh, Alessandro Plitzari, the uh, the 18-year-old goalkeeper who returned to AC Milan uh, from loan last season. Uh, he... I didn't, I legitimately didn't even know he was still at Milan. I thought that he was on loan again. Um, but he is included in this hashtag worldwide Milan. Uh, he has been called up by the Italy U20 side.
1: You would think that a player with the p- potential we've heard about of Plizzari, they'd want him out on loan playing rather than being behind two Donnarumas in Arena.
0: Yeah, I mean, I frankly, I hope he's not actually behind Antonio Donnarumma, because that would that would just be a further indictment of like, oh, just send the kid out on loan. My God, what are we doing? Like, why are we torturing this poor kid with being a fourth string goalkeeper? I I genuinely thought he was on loan. Something must have fallen through because the I mean, the window's closed. Like, there's nothing like... No one in Europe can buy him or take him on loan. I don't know really what... Uh, this just screams to me loan in January, but... Um, I mean, we'll see, but he is one of two goalkeepers called up for the U20, uh, which, you know, good for him, um, because I guess he'll get playing time with them. I mean, I don't I don't really know. But uh, you have six Italians, um, obviously... Kaldara hasn't played a game for Milan yet. Um, you have one Croatian. Halilovic has not played a game for Milan yet. John uh, Oglu also hasn't played a game this season for Milan yet, but we know what he can do. Uh, Lakshalt and Rodriguez are consistent in their national teams as the starting left back, um, which one thing that I forgot to mention, it's really interesting seeing Rodriguez and Lakshalt on the pitch together. Um which happened against Napoli where I legitimately didn't know which one was supposed to be left back because they were both just going <laughs> forward. It was like they were alternating like, okay, I'll go forward this time. Okay. I'll go forward this time. Um, but they are, they're starting left backs. They started there during the world cup. Suso returns to Spain. He hasn't gotten a lot of calls from them. So I'm, I'm really glad to see that. Otherwise, you know, standard, uh, standard, international break procedure um i'll probably watch the italy games since the nations league is starting and it, in theory matters um or it does matter because there is a spot in the euros at stake um i don't th- that is way too in the weeds i don't even know how that works i just know the yeah. nations league <laughs> you try and win um and it matters it's yeah, exactly. not a friendly so i'll probably watch uh standard procedure hope they don't get hurt um and I mean, I can see, I mean, Donnarumma should, should, will, uh, be starter for Italy. Uh, Bonaventura I can see starting in the midfield. Uh, Caldara will most likely start. Uh, and Catrone, that is a Mancini decision. Um, he called Balotelli back, uh, but he also called Zaza. Again, so I...
1: <laughs> Which just, what the state of that.
0: I, yeah, that's that's basically where the Italian national team is at this point.
1: That is a lot of forwards. Balotelli, Immobile, Insigne, Balotti, Zaza, Bernardeschi, Chiesa, Berardi.
0: They're going to go the LAFC route, and they're just going to start a goalkeeper followed by 10 forwards. Yes. they. That's what they're going to do. Uh, but, I mean, honestly, I think Bonaventura could start in the midfield i mean i don't i don't know how accurate that really is
1: he's actually their most capped midfielder on this team which is amazing okay yeah so, he's uh
0: yeah. he's how close are we to el capitano oh bonaventura my god. <laughs> can you imagine it's, uh oh my god that's an
1: interesting midfield list when you look at it bonaventura Jorginho, pellegrini cristante uh Galliardini, Banassi, Barella,
0: and Zaniolo. Okay, so I have a couple takes here. Um, what the hell is Galliardini doing in the Italy national team? I don't know. What the hell okay? I so don't understand B- it. Barella, I can get it. Benassi, eh. Cristante, fine. Uh Jorginho should be there. Pellegrini, fine. Uh Zaniola, I literally know nothing about him. Yeah. I Okay, I, I just I straight up do not. Bonaventura is listed kind of with the forwards, but he, he's he's not. Really? And then there's Gagliardini. I swear. What is Gagliardini doing in this team? I just I don't get I don't really know what Benassi's doing there either, but I mean this is a large team. Just to just to
1: It's a very young team.
0: Oh, as it should be. I mean, I, yes, I had a take when they missed the world cup. I said that they shouldn't even call up Benucci for the foreseeable future. Uh, just cause they know exactly what Benucci is. They should find out what these other guys are. So, uh, while we're here, I'll just rattle through them. Uh, Cranio, Donnarumma, Perrin, Sirigu. Uh, so I see Donnarumma starting there unless they decided Perrin, but I, it's Donnarumma. Uh, Biragi, Benucci, Caldara, Chiellini, Crescito, which, you know, again, Crescito is still getting called up. Uh, Emerson, which I didn't know we were calling up Emerson either. Lazzari, who I don't know who that is. Uh, Romagnoli, Rugani, and um, in intri- Bold choice to still call up Rugani, by the way. Um, just maybe that's personally just throwing a little bit of shade but
1: good for Lazzari. he's had a couple of good games for spall to start this season and they started with a couple of really nice results but i mean he's gonna be he's gonna be a little bit of depth for them i guess i i obviously want to see what romagnoli and caldara do together in the mid in the middle um but bonucci and chiellini that's still their domain until they finally retire
0: i thought chiellini had retired I legitimately thought he had, but apparently he's back. Uh, Barella, Benassi, Cristante, Gagliardini, Giorgino, Pellegrini, Zagnolo, and then as you went over the mid er, uh, the forwards before, Balotelli, Belotti, Berardi, Bernadeschi, Bonaventura, Chiesa, Immobile, Insigne, Pellegrini, and Zaza. Uh, so I mean. You know, if I was Mancini, I could strike a couple of these guys out of here, but I will be interested to see how this squad evolves going forward, just in terms of who continues to get called up. Like, if we see Gagliardini and, like, Zaza over and over and over, like, I don't know. I don't think Mancini has gotten that many chances to actually call up and test the squad. So I'm okay with him calling all these people, like, okay, let me. Let me give you a run out there. Let me give you a run out there. But if we are still seeing Zaza in like two months, I'm not going to be that happy. There's your Italian national team update. Uh, The only thing we have left to go over is the Europa League draw. So Milan actually have their first group stage game in the Europa League pretty soon, in a couple weeks, against... Dudelange. Let's
1: let's go with F9 that. F
0: nine one Dudelange. Dudelange. I don't. I don't. That's not the team that Milan will be worrying about in this group stage. And oh, by the way, their first game is at Dudelange, which is by the way in Luxembourg. And uh, we were talking before we went on their stadium, which is Stade Jo Josy Barthel um is where they play and it is literally Crown Lane for yes FIFA. Like it has <laughs> if you look at it and I'm sure the so according to Wikipedia, um it is also the national stadium of Luxembourg, home of the Luxembourg national football team, and is in Luxembourg City. So that is where Dudelange is from uh, in Luxembourg city. But if you look at the pictures, you know, one of the sides of the stadium is like a full stand with like the overhang and everything. And then the rest are just bleachers and it has a track around it as well. And I respect to them. I'm not trying to just dish all over them. Um, but Milan is not going to struggle against this team. Um, and this, this stadium holds a capacity of 8,125. Nice. So to give you an idea, my college stadium fits a little bit more than that.
1: Okay, Maryland. Like you guys had the best student section in the country.
0: Yeah, I mean. Shout you out UConn Gold break. Patrol. We were but...
1: number one. That was indisputable. Mm. <laughs> All
0: right. Take it. um but i mean that it's a small stadium um and milan's first game is there they got drawn into group f and so on one hand they got due to launch or due lange or however you want to say it and i i don't know what the proper Luxembourgy and luxemburger accent is so i i just i also don't know how to say <laughs> someone from luxembourg so but the other two in the group is less than favorable um Olympiacos and Real Betis and that is how you make a very not easy group for AC Milan that they have to deal with Olympiacos and a very sneaky good Real Betis yeah that's going to be
1: uh it's going to be a headache last year the Europa League group was not that great it was extremely manageable obviously they didn't really have any problems getting through it this time around. I'm not that sure. I mean, I You would, you would expect that they should be the favorite, but I don't know. I think that, I think this is a group that Royal Batiste can win. And then Milan and Olympiacos, it's going to be really tough. I mean, all three of them are just going to bloody each other, but like, I'm just, I'm looking at Real Batista's squad and I completely forgot that Giovanni Lasalso went there on loan, which still weird to me that PSG loaned him. I thought he was very good last year. Um, you know, Andres Guardado, the, the Mexican star, Joaquin, uh, you know, Mark Bartra is there now, Christian Teo, Joel Robles, the old Everton keeper. There's there's some players on that team and obviously they lost Fabian Ruiz to Napoli this summer and he hasn't really played yet for Ancelotti but that's that's a good team that's gonna be a really that's gonna be a tough so one so
0: Milan are away to Dudelange the in their first their second is home Olympiacos and their third is home Real Batiste all right so that's a positive is that they both Get both of the home games against those two harder teams early. Uh, the downside is then they have to go away to Real Batiste uh, and then they have home Dudelange and then away Olympiakos to see it out. So maybe, hopefully, they won't even need to worry about that away one against Olympiacos. Hopefully. Um, the problem with getting Dudelange is everyone else also gets Dudelange. So, you know. Yeah, it's kind of a... Like, okay, great, but also... And I want to... I'm looking at the schedule right now. Right before Milan host Real Batiste, they have to play Inter. Fun. Right after they have to travel to Batiste, they host Juventus. Naturally. Right before they host Dudelange... have to travel to Lazio can we keep the street going okay no so Olympiakos is bookended by home Torino and away Bologna which is acceptable um but I tell you man the fact that so just real quick the it goes Cagliari away Dudelange away Atalanta home and then for the Olympiacos, it's Sassuolo away, Olympiacos home, KievO home, Inter away, um, Batis home, Sampdoria home, and then you have Batis away, Juve home, uh, with Udinese away before it, and you have Lazio away, Dudelange home, Parma. I tell you man I am not a fan of having to flip from coming back from Real Batiste to Juve and I'm not looking for it. The fact that the hardest person the hardest team in the group is Batiste, and on either on both we have Inter before one of them and Juve on the other side of another that's just... Re- and we have to do with Lazio. Like, that is... just mean. That is a rough European schedule. But on the other hand, I will say that these are the kind of groups that the Europa League wants, right? Because this legitimate, legitimifies, makes it look more legitimate, the Europa League. Because, I mean, a couple of these groups, on one hand, you have a group that includes... Celtic, Leipzig, Salzburg, and Rosenborg—the
1: Red Bull group.
0: And on the other hand, you have oh,
1: go to Group K.
0: Oh, here we go. Yeah, this is the one I was looking for: Astana, Dynamo Kiev, Jablonek, and Rene. Oof, that's that's almost as bad as the uh, as what group is it in the uh, Champions League? the Europa League, Champions League. By the way, Inter got about as rough a draw as we probably could have hoped in the Champions League with Barca and Tottenham, and also PSV. But um, I have a feeling we will be seeing Inter in the Europa League. Um, he- oh, here it is. It's Group D. It's Porto, Schalke, Galatasaray, and Lokomotiv Moscow. That's the Europa League, Champions League group. Um, Porto and Schalke are locks, by the way. They should be locks for that group. But then again, they all have to go to Turkey. So um, so that's AC Milan's Europa League campaign. starts off a little rough because they have Batiste, Olympiacos, and Dudelange in their group. So we will see how they're... A second consecutive Europa League campaign, now that we're not banned from the Europa League, kicks off. uh, That kicks off uh, on the 20th at 3 p.m. in Luxembourg at their fabulous stadium. So, uh, got a lot ahead of us. Uh, Had a lot to start the season. 3-2 loss against Napoli after being up 2-0 and then a 2-1 victory over Roma in the dying moments, thanks to the teenage sensation, Patrick Cutrone. Uh, We will be back next week. We'll preview Cagliari and Dudelange, Dudelange, whatever, however you say it. Uh, We will talk about those two. Continue the season when we are back from international break. But until then, for Tim, for the staff of the AC Milan offside, I'm Patrick. Thanks for listening to the AC Milan offside's Devil Wears Rossonero. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.